Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Hi, this is Brooke Lurie, and this is the Brooke Lurie Podcast with me and my good friend and producer, Ari David. Um, always a pleasure. So, we are now moved, by the way. Uh, we are doing our first podcast from a different location, my new office location. Studio. Studio. My studio. Yes, yes. yes thank you very much. Uh, we've expanded our uh, law firm, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, we have bigger space, and it's, uh, hopefully the sound is equally good, if not better. Um, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of cool. Yeah, we moved here. out of that dangerous neighborhood where the sirens were going by every four minutes. Yes, exactly right. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, there were there were a lot of sirens. All right. Uh, one of the uh, very interesting things that's uh, going on, of course, is uh, the elections and uh, um, Trump and Hillary and such. But Hillary's candidacy, um, you know, people often talk about how amazing the candidacy is, and she might be the first woman president. Uh, she'll certainly be, if nominated as a Democratic nominee, the first female Democratic nominee for president, right? So that's uh, impressive in and of itself. And anyway, it, it evokes the issue of feminism, right? And you know the expression, be careful what you want, you just might get it? Wish for, right? Oh, yes, what you, what you wish, wish for. for yeah. Something similar. You just might get it, right? And there are many uh, movies that are exactly on point. And of course, The Simpsons also speaks about this issue too, right? It's a Halloween episode, I believe. And uh, you, you have to be really careful. Now, people may admire Hillary Clinton, say, look, she's, she's a former uh, first lady, she's a secretary of state, she was a senator. What an impressive woman. And I, and I, I ask, you know, and, and I talked to Dennis Prager about this, he actually did a whole show about this. Would you really want to be Hillary Clinton? Okay, as a woman, if you're a woman, out there, you know, write to me. Let me know. Would you trade places with Hil Hillary Clinton and all the things that she's ever gone through? Would you would you do that? And the answer should be a resounding no. Right? I mean, if you're a logical person, you would say no. Why, why do I say that with such confidence? I mean, after all, she has all, all, all the trappings of of uh, wealth, right? Fame, notoriety. Uh, she might be president. Who knows? That that would mean a lot of power. But why would you want to be her? And, and here, here's my point. 
On the happiness hour, Dennis Prager once brought up uh, an episode, and he was very kind to give me credit for it. I, I certainly appreciate it. And I call it cafeteria happiness. What does that mean? It means that sometimes we look at somebody and we see his or her uh, incredible power, incredible fame, maybe he has a beautiful wife, uh, even beautiful kids, and you say, wow, I want that, right? And I worked for such a, a man, by the way, um, very wealthy man. He had a lot of real estate holdings. And I very quickly learned more about him, and I would say I would never want to be him. Yeah, and, and then people always say, well, I would want his wealth, but I would not want to be like him in, in any other respect. And I say, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't cafeteria uh, engage in your happiness. It's a prefix meal, not a cafeteria. Yeah, exactly. Right. You get everything. You have to, and you have to adopt everything. And you have to eat it all. Right. There's a woman I know who was very jealous of um, a, a cousin of hers. Very, very jealous. They were very close. And this cousin uh, had a very powerful job. And the friend really was jealous of this job that her cousin had. And, but she had a nice husband. She had nice kids and everything else. But she was exceedingly jealous of this cousin. She was a power player. I, I won't get into details because I don't want to give too many details. But she was very big in, in, a, in a certain very important industry. And she had worked for it over the years and gotten this power position. And she kept, this woman, this friend of mine, kept on talking about how great it would be to be, to, to have what she has. And she admires her. And it got annoying after a certain moment. And I said, poof. Making a thing, you know, an explosion with my hands. Like a magic trick. Like a magic trick. And she said, what's that? And I said, I just made you. We'll call her Kate. I just turned you into Kate. You now have her job. Okay? Will that make you happy? And this woman, my friend, said, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's exactly what I would want. And I said, but wait, you have to have it all. What do you mean? So you can't just have her job. You also have to have her weight. She was rather heavy. You also have to have her alcoholic husband, her nervous Nelly children, who were, of course, uh, you know, a, a byproduct of this very nervous relationship. And you also have to have all the guilt that this woman, this cousin of hers, had in life because she could not spend any time with her children. Okay? And now I'm ready to make it permanent. Ready? And I pretended as if I'm going to make another poof sound with my, my, my hands. And she stops. She goes, wait, wait. Maybe I don't want it so much. And I said, thank you. And I said, you, look at what you do have. You, you have a, a husband that loves you, that likes you, that's got a nice job. You've got great children. And you can pursue a career as you want. And you, you have a career. It's a, it's a career you chose. It doesn't have to be her. And she understood. And that was the kind of the, the, the genesis of the, the happiness hour that Dennis Prager picked up. It was cool. And you, you just can't do that to yourself. You can't engage in cafeteria happiness. Now, I 
And that's why I ask a lot of the ladies listening to this show, and we have a lot of ladies listening to the show, I'm very pleased to report. Would you want to be Hillary Clinton? Forget about, you know, liberal and conservative for a moment, okay? Let's say uh, it could even be Carly Fiorina, okay? Yeah, or Margaret Thatcher, any Margaret powerful Thatcher. woman who's attained the height of the heights. Right. Would you want it? Would you really want it? But, but, but still has the same, everything about Hillary Clinton, exactly the same thing, except that, you know, forget about the politics, okay? Just, because I, I really want to focus on Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And if you say yes, then you're, you're clearly engaging in cafeteria happiness because you would also have to adopt the fact that she has a womanizing husband who's as narcissist beyond belief, um, that she herself is under investigation by the FBI and otherwise, right? That she's got blood in her hands with Benghazi and otherwise, right? I mean, we can get into the politics of it a bit, I suppose. But life but those just, are the realities of life. It's not like most people walking around have indictments hanging over their head. Right, exactly. You might have a lawsuit hanging over your head, but right. an indictment's yeah. a different. That's right. <laughs> yeah, th these are the facts on the ground for Hillary Clinton, and these are not good facts on the ground. And then the fact that she might lose to uh, the nomination to uh, Bernie Sanders and then has to deal with Donald Trump or whatever. These are things. Now, let's say even if she becomes the president, so what? Is your role in the world to become president of the United States? Why? Why do you want to be president of the United States? Because people will look up to you and say, wow, she's so special? Is that your, is that your mission? Because it shouldn't be about you. It should be about the country, right? And it begs the question that you many times ask, which is the, well, what next? Yeah, what next? Yeah, you, you've attained the, you, you're the dog and you've chased the car and now you've gotten to the car. What do you do yeah, with you it? you got a bumper in your mouth. <laughs> Can you chew it? Right. It goes to the ultimate issue of what, what do women really want, right? And, and here is, I guess, a more ultimate question, which is, do you really want to be a feminist? Is that... Is that really important to you? I guess we should define what feminism means because there, apparently there are many sliding scales of it. But when we're talking about feminism today in, the, in this podcast, we're talking about it in the context of a, kind of a Bella, I think you said, Ari, a Bella Abzug type feminist. Uh, one who's, uh, you know, staunchly uh, all about, you know, no, no makeup, uh, you know, beauty should not mean anything in, in, in a woman's appearance. Um, you know, the, the, in fact, you should be, you should pursue masculine things. Uh, you should have sex as much as you want um, and uh, guilt-free sex, so to speak. As much as you can, even if you don't want to, actually, seems to be the message I take away. That, that might very well be, but, but let's not go too extreme. I'm simply okay. saying, you know, the, the Bella Abzug feminist, the, the, you know, that, that's where. Now, I, I have a different uh, belief in feminism, which is that all women should have equal opportunity. Okay, I, that's fine. If, if a woman really wants to be an astronaut, then God bless her. She should not be stopped from being an astronaut uh, just because she's a woman, okay? I don't, I don't believe in that and, and all that stuff. Now, they may say, well, you know, that's what we're talking about, Barack, glass ceilings and all that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, simply giving the opportunities. Now, I don't, I, th I think that if there are limitations, if a job requires certain limitations, like you have to be able to carry 50 pounds in your back, whatever it is, whether it's for a firefighter or school or as a policeman or as a military person, 
and you can't carry the 50 pounds, well, then maybe you, sh you, know, you shouldn't be allowed. But if you're a woman and you can't carry the 50 pounds, then God bless you. And you really want to do that? Fine. But here's what I found. And women, let me know if this resonates with you. I think that a woman's ultimate highest calling, what they really feel accomplished about, is having a husband and having children. And that if they don't have those things, they feel very lacking in their lives. Now, before you say, oh my gosh, that is so sexist, Barack. How can you say that? That is so traditionalist and such. Listen, I, I know far too many women that are single at 40, 45, even 50, and life has passed them by. They can't have kids. They're having trouble meeting men to, to, marry, little, uh, to, to date, let alone marry. And they've got powerful jobs. And these women are not happy. I, I would say 99 out of 100 of them are, are not happy. Of course, there's a few that, that are just fine with that. It's never zero, right? But, but I would say only about 1%, to my anecdotal experience, seem to be really okay with it. And even then, I don't know. They may just be saying it. I think, by contrast, you take a single man, and he has not gotten married. He has not had children. And he's got a, far, a fairly power, powerful position. He might very well be perfectly happy. I, I didn't want kids. I didn't want to get married. I just want to have my, my job, and I want, to, I want to shape the world, and I want to invent this new gizmo, and uh, that's, what I, that's what motivates me. And, you know, I think that's a little empty myself, but nevertheless, I think a single man making that or finding himself that way will not be as unhappy as a single woman, exactly the same age, and so on. And there's a reason for that. I think that the men and women want different things. They, they emphasize different things. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to like what I just said, but I think it's a reality. No less of a reality than the fact that you know, women focus on their beauty much more than men do, right? They, they, the makeup industry is for women, right? And they're fascinated with the, the uh, clothing catalogs and everything else, and men just don't give a crap about that. Maybe they should a little bit more, but we don't care about our clothing attire as much as they do, and we certainly don't have makeup. Now, it's nice to be good-looking if you're a man, but it's, it's not the end-all and be-all of, of your relationship with women, for women, beauty matters a lot. And that's why they, they dress the way they do. That's why they have makeup the way they do and such. Beauty is a big part of their lives, right? So this, this is, and, and when we describe a woman, we say, oh, she, you know, she's, she's a cute girl. Remember, she's about five foot nine. She's cute. That's, that's how we talk. But another guy, you, you would never say, you know, unless he's super duper good looking, like a true model. You, 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 but you would never say, you know. You'd say well, he's a lawyer, he's, he's a, a doctor. Exactly, he's, about, he's in his 40s, he's a lawyer, he's a doctor, like you said, and um, you know, he's kind of a little heavy, whatever, right? That's the way you would describe him. We're just different. If he's unemployed, you talk about his looks. <laughs> there you go. Well, then he's a waiter, I guess. Uh, anyway, but I, I shouldn't be saying that, it, because a waiter is employed, right? Um, we have different agendas. So feminism, the Bella Abzug type feminism, insists that 
women should all be gunning for these very powerful positions, these male, previously male-dominated positions. They should be all the top-notch lawyers. They should be all the top-notch doctors, the CEOs, and so on. Why? It's not, it's not, doesn't come naturally to you. We, you, don't, you don't want that as much as men do, first of all. And then secondly, you're, you're leaving what, what does come naturally to you, which is being maternal and helping raise great kids, which is, I think, frankly, far more important than whether or not you, know, you, you polish people's teeth. What, what, what does it say? Who, who, are you, who are you trying to impress? I guess that's the point. Why are you gunning for so much? And again, I, I understand that you may have it in you, that this is all you want in, in your life. I get that, and no one should rob you from that. But what I, I guess what I'm demurring to is I just don't like the idea of pushing all women to say that they should go into the professions, that they should be the leaders of their fields and the business world and such, and, and that motherhood itself is second tier. That's what I demur to. That's what I find is, is demeaning for the one thing, and uh, it robs you of, of your true femininity. What do you think? Um, I, I think it's a, a very powerful and important point because if you want to change the world or influence it for the better, you might want to start with continuing the existence of the human race. Yeah. It's a, it's a good starting point. I somewhat disagree with you about the idea that men don't need relationships, though. Oh, I didn't say that they don't need it. Uh, I know, but you said it's not as intrinsically linked to their long-term happiness. Okay, yeah, that's I, true. I think men who have that attitude, like women who have that attitude, are lying to themselves. Maybe it's not as as elemental, but it is right. It is critical. And it, it's like uh, all happiness starts with having a stable family and a stable relationship. The very core of why Hillary Clinton is most unhappy is because the man in her life is not only a philandering cheater on her, but he's also violent towards the women he cheats on with yeah. Hillary. He's he's borderline psychopathic criminal. Right. And, and that's not some epithet thrown around for political brinksmanship here. That's right. fact. He raped a woman. He sexually assaulted a woman. He tried to ruin the lives of several of the women he cheated on. That's not a guy... I once heard it saying when right. a guy who was cheating on his wife said, uh, well, you know, she was like a side of potatoes with the steak and a girl who was the, the chitty, if you will, the, the you know woman on the side said, no, no, I'm the steak. Uh, if, if you have the attitude towards a nice steak and potato meal where you're nice to the steak and you're nice to the potato and you get into only the moral quandary of not being faithful to one or the other, fine. But this is a man who goes above and beyond that and yeah. is absolutely miserable to be with. I, so I, I how can Hillary be happy with a man like that? No, I, I agree. And uh, she, there's no way she can be happy with him, not truly happy at least. And I, I, I take your point about that even men need the family, familial relationships. It's just not what we do. It's not... Yeah, it's not, not what we identify our right. very... It's not ingrained in us. I, I think there's something about us. There's, there's, if there's a program to, to men, uh, our programming is, of course, to spread our seed as, as much as possible, uh, for one thing. But also there's power involved. There's a sense of, like, we need to conquer the world. Right, and and that's and, and we do it hopefully in a in a healthy creative way by creating a new product, uh, you know, being the best lawyer we can be, uh, being a great doctor, even better yet, um, and helping the world, right, advancing it to make it just a little bit better. And women, I, I think, 
the, if there is programming there, there is a sense of uh, nurturing and and loving little kids, and uh, wanting to raise a family. They ache for that. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, my wife, when she sees a little infant, she just has to hold him. The little infant just has to. Can I please hold him? And and the mother who has the infant totally understands, right? And for me, I, you know, I think I see a little infant, and I said, oh, that's that's great, it's cute, you know. And I and I love children. Don't get me wrong, I really love children. But I I don't have this burning need to hold that little infant. It's just different programming. I, my, I was taking my two daughters to. Um, uh, San Diego, and we were at the Hotel Del Coronado, walking along the back sort of beach behind the hotel. And there are a lot of tourists there. And a group of Chinese women tourists who were all grandmother ages saw my younger daughter, who's this adorable little kid with blonde hair, and they started shrieking in excitement. And without even asking me, they started picking her up and passing her from one to the other and hugging and kissing <laughs> and posing for photos with her. And in most situations, if someone grabs your kid and starts doing something like that, you freak out. But I could right. see the harmlessness of what they were doing. And uh, being a, um, you know, in the marketing business and, you know, a, a shameless one at that, I saw the immediate, you know, way this is a good lesson for my children and how to package themselves for future right. <laughs> publicity. But you could see the complete connection to an, an adorable kid these women had. And that right. leads me to the next step in it, which is... You talk about static thinking and dynamic thinking. Right. And the most dynamic thinking that a person can engage in is the realization that time does not stand still. That one day, hopefully, we will arrive at an age when we're older. And I cannot think of happier people than successful grandparents. Right. People who are older who have lived wonderful lives and have left wonderful children in the world and now sit back and see this large family that existed in the wake of their good decisions they've made in life and reaping the happiness rewards that comes from it. Yeah, that's really true. It's really, really true. Um, and you cannot as, I mean, going back to your example of the Chinese woman, the group of Chinese women, imagine if it's a group of Chinese men, and there's certainly plenty of those, you know, to come by to, for business purposes. And they, and they, they, they bumped into you in the exact same setting, right? Wherever you were. And, and I call the cops. <laughs> no, and, no, I mean, I, I'll, I'll even start before then. They won't even Look at the, your children. They would say, they wouldn't say, oh, he's uh, she's so cute. Uh, nothing like that. No, no. And they wouldn't hold it. They wouldn't even dare to even reach, because it's just not in their nature. Now maybe there's one or two men, sure, but but come on, let's let's be real. A group of fifty women versus fifty men, Chinese or not, right? The 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 group that's going to be holding the child and be excited about the child is the woman. The reason why is that they're programmed to do so, and there's nothing wrong with that. And what I fight for, if I am to be a feminist, in the feminist that I believe in, is not, as Dennis Prager calls it, I'm not a masculinist, meaning I don't, I don't think that women should try to be men. I think women should be a, a, as much women as they can be. They're natural what they are. Right. What, what do we no one, no one's stopping. Be who you are. Be what you are. Be that's proud right. of yourself. Right. And and so that, so that's that's one thing. And I and I just. You know that the I think they there'd be far more embracing of motherhood, far more elevating of that, and how great that is. Now you hear a lot of people saying, "Oh, she's got the hardest job in the world. She's working full time mom, isn't that great?" And that's the hardest. That's even harder than what we do. You know, we, we can play that game all day long, but there are some people who say that, and I think that's a good thing to do. Maybe it elevates it too much, um, but nevertheless, motherhood is a wonderful thing, and there's nothing wrong with seeking it out. 
And you want to do a part-time job? That's great. If you want to do a full-time job, that's great. Whatever flows your boat. But don't, don't push yourself into something that you're not. I, I, I remember dating this one woman a long time ago, and she, a lovely lady. And I liked very much, she said, I was born to be a mom. She said, I, I'm going to have children. I'm going to be a full-time mommy. And after that, I'll go back to the law. And she waited a long, long time to go back to the law, and she raised those boys of, of hers. Um, and I really respected that. I, I was born to be a mom. I, I always remember that. And, uh, and good for her. But feminism, do you really want to be the feminist, the Bella Abzug feminist? That's the question. Because there's nothing naturally feminine no. about choosing to neglect your body. Right. Uh, make yourself as ugly as possible, act as as rude and as vulgar as possible, yeah. and then say, what are you looking at? I'm being a feminist. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little odd. Uh, that the, some of the attitude you see is, and, there's so, and, the, <coughs> and feminism is so much, I mean, a lot of what I see is, is so hostile to men. It's like they, they make these automatic assumptions about men. Like, first of all, I don't... I'm, I'm a man that, that owns my own law firm. I hire a lot of people. And I would say, well, what do you think of John? What do you think of Jane? What do you think? Whatever. I, no one ever says, you know, well, you know, we shouldn't hire Jane because, you know, she's a woman. <laughs> I mean, what, we just don't talk like that. I don't know of anybody who talks like that. And, I, and frankly, I, I have no doubt that, yes, they probably talked about that in the 50s and 40s maybe. But but I think that's kind of grossly exaggerated as well. And also, do you have? Any, but wait, wait, but oh, wait, but wait. That, but yeah. to, to, not even today. I mean, the past fifty friggin' years. I, I just don't think people have thought like that. It's like it's like the bugaboo that many of our Jewish brothers and sisters, so to speak, uh, you know, they, they view the world as one big version of anti-Semitism when they don't realize that the Christians are actually our biggest friends, right? And it's a shame. It's like this unnecessary hostility. Or um, a lot of, uh, sadly, in, in the black community, a lot of them view a lot of whites as in, inherently racist, you know, just walking down the street. And, and that's a shame, too. It's, it's unnecessary hostility. And a lot of the feminists out there are just waiting for that great moment to jump on you about how, how you're, you're sexist and how horrible you are and how traditionalist you are and such. I was going with a buddy of mine. We were mountain biking. And uh, he was talking about his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, and he was very frustrated with her. And he was complaining uh, that you know she was always nagging him, and and it just he just couldn't take it anymore. It was one of, you know, it was guy talk on a mountain bike ride, but really all he was saying was, Barack, it's just too much for me to handle with the uh, we'll call her Sally. I just I got to get out of it. She just nags me all the time. I just can't live like this anymore. I'm just tired of it. And, um, you know, I, we don't have any sex anymore and blah, blah, blah. You know, stuff, stuff that you might expect guys, two guys to be talking about on a mountain bike ride. We pass by a woman uh, who's going the other way. And I guess she overheard just a, literally two seconds of whatever she said. And, and she snapped around and she said, you, you sexist pigs, and starts yelling at us. And, and we paused, just kind of listened to her while she was screaming at us. Screaming on the, on the mountain bike trail in the middle of in the woods. And we both said, you, didn't, you don't know what we're talking about at all, do you? I don't know. And she kept on going. She, 
And we kept on. We said, see you later. Very politely, we left. <laughs> we went to a further hill. And, you know, we got to the point where she was so far away, you can, you know, that, that by the time that she opened her mouth, you know, the, the sound came two seconds later, right? That's how far away she was. And she, we saw her kind of raising her arms in anger and, like, you know, pounding the, the air in, in anger. And we just, we couldn't stop laughing. The reason why I bring her, her up is that here is a woman that she was just looking for the enemy, right? She's, and she found it, or so, so, so she thought she found it, right? She couldn't wait to find the unicorn of, of men who are just angry. What sexist in Los Angeles? Right, yeah. It's just, it's so absurd, and, and it's, it's just not happening in the way that they think it is. And so why would you want to be it? Why would, so much hostility, and, and you're told that you can't, you shouldn't pursue your career. I'm sorry, you shouldn't pursue motherhood until after your career. In other words, career first, motherhood second, which is exactly the opposite of what it should be. Right? It's a shame. Everyone loses in the process. And Ari, how many women, very nice women, sometimes very pretty women, do, we, do you and I both know who have taken that advice, have become the doctors and the lawyers and uh, other professionals of all different kinds, and then just looked around and, and realized, you know, they're 35 years old, as young as 35, and they have difficulty finding a good guy. I, I, I know tons of them. Yeah, and, and it's the exception uh, when when a woman who is thirty five, no matter how pretty she is, can find a, an amazing guy, yeah, ready and, to rock and roll with, and, with kids. And, and it's not just on the the supply of one of the genders; it's both because yeah. the the magic the magic of this modern feminism is not only has it made so many of these women ineligible yeah. for relationships until they're past their expiration date, so that. There's a glut of high-quality females on the market for the eligible men. It's reduced the number of masculine <coughs> eligible men out there, too, because it's cowed so many of them into metrosexual kind of beta male behaviors that women don't find attractive on the one hand, and then it's turned them into essentially um, recluses on the other. Right. I know so many guys who are lonely and they won't leave the house. They won't approach a woman who's attractive at, at Starbucks or Coffee Bean or at a bar or at the gym and just walk up to her and says hi. Right. I mean, when I was interested in meeting girls or ladies, you know, mm-hmm. women, uh, you know, you, you have to work out several ways of approach. Yeah, what, that, women, that women rely on, they rely on men to come up to them. Yeah, to, to make to, that first move, yeah. right? And sometimes the, um, you know, uh, line of opening would be kind of organic, like... That Obama's real bastard, right? You know, <laughs> that'd be organic. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but that do, that doesn't always present itself in Brentwood for everyone. So you know, sometimes I just hand them a business card and says, "I think you're really pretty. Give me a call. I don't right. want to interrupt your conversation." And a lot of women would call me. It was a great move, you know, very subtle and not too intrusive and whatever, you know. Point is, most guys I know who these are attractive guys with jobs. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. They don't have the uh, intestinal fortitude to put it for the, in the family-friendly way right, of the show exactly. to, to pull that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then and then women wonder why ain't anyone talking to me? Yeah. Then there are songs of where where have all the cowboys gone? Yeah. Right. That that's what that song is well, all about. Well, they betafied all the men. That's right. It's 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 so um, it's so unfortunate, and you're, that's a good point, Ari. So on the one hand, you're you're hurting your own future by 
trying to be so tough and so career-oriented that you forget about motherhood and you forget about the importance of time, especially in a woman's biology. It's so important, right? You're missing yeah. the greatest uh, times of, and greatest about of your life. attracting a man during that window. Right, exactly. And then, and then, of course, you're also changing men in the process, also to, to make the men the very kind of man that you don't find attractive. You know, every woman loves, if you ask a woman what her fantasy man is, the reality is somewhere, you know, they may say that, you know, he's, he's working at Greenpeace and stuff like that and whatever. I mean, even I, I bring it up because it's true for liberals and conservatives, okay? But at the end of the day, they'll all say, I want a man who can lead, can be tough for me, can be there to support me, to be strong for me. They'll use yeah. words around those words that yeah. I just mentioned. Can I make the perfect example of juxtaposition? Sure. They say they want a guy who's an activist for Greenpeace, but what they really want is the captain of a whaling ship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. A real yeah. tough man who can survive. Well, one woman I talked to, I said, uh, what do you want? And she said, okay. This is, this is her dream. She didn't want to sign up for um, you know, any singles uh, website, for example, because that was too um, artificial. She wanted it to happen organically. And the man who comes up to her at, say, a Starbucks, to use your example, would be somebody that is, of course, extremely good looking, uh, very tall, um, is uh, a CEO of a major company of some kind. Who's uh, getting his own coffee? Yeah, and and he also uh, he also is CEO of Greenpeace at the same time somehow to use your example to, to use the example, and uh, he um, uh, and and he listens and knows her every thought and mood, right? Of course, there is no such animal. It never ever happened in the history of mankind. <laughs> but that's what and, they want. Oh, and he's still single. That's right. Yeah, of course, and he's totally unattached. Yeah. So. The reality is that, you know, look, women, your best, your most glorious moments, and this is the good news, because you know your best time is between the ages of 22, I would say, even 20, but let's just use 22 for a different number, 22 to 29, okay? Your 20s, basically. That is a magic time period for you. That is the most attractive time for most men vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the age of the woman that they are interested in. I know it was true for me. And, and the reason why was because I did some math behind it and, and I wanted a, a lot of kids. I didn't want just one designer kid, right? And if, if I met somebody who was at 33, let's say, no matter how pretty she is, right, there's a good chance that I'll only have one kid. That's the way, that's the way guys think. Now, if, if the guy, if, if you and he both only want one kid, well, then it'll all work out. Yeah, but get married at 50. Who cares? Well, but then you, you won't even have that one kid. But how many? This, it, this whole IVF industry and, the, and, and how people don't, don't think about this. Like, these are the magic years for you. Ladies, please don't waste it. Uh, don't, don't waste it just having parties and funds. This is it. Once you're 30, it's not that you won't ever meet a man. It's just much harder. Your choices start narrowing dramatically, okay, to about one-fifth of the men that you were previously interrested in. Yeah. That's what's and happening. Then, and, of course, the men your age of that age window you're interested in, slightly older than you, are more likely to be married, yeah. divorced, ineligible, have life beaten out of them in one way or another, you know. And yeah, it's tough. It's, yeah. And, and, we, and it, look, you can say it's not fair. 
You, maybe you want it to be exactly equal to the men. You should be able to, to have children whenever you want. But you know what? Nature didn't create us this way. And life just isn't fair. It just Tough. isn't fair. Well, you know, it's not fair to men either. We, that's that's why yeah. I said life. It's yeah, not life is fair not fair. To anyone. Uh, you know, we die uh, much faster than, than women do. We have a, uh, we our suicide rate is much greater than it is for women. There's a whole bunch of problems that, that men face, but we're just different, and that's the, that's the way it is. And you can't just demand that you should be able to have a kid when you're 45 because it's it's actually quite stupid to game plan your, your life like that. You will lose in that game plan. And we know, and Ari, you know, and our listeners know, far too many women that have decided to wait, wait, wait for that perfect man after that perfect career is well-established, and then they say, now I am ready for my man, and there ain't nobody coming. And that is what feminism offers. Good for today. All right, uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Why can't they say what they want? Why can't they just say what they need? Come clean, listen and talk. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. Thanks for joining us right back. All right. Um, one of the most fascinating areas that uh, we can talk about and, and that Ari, you and I love talking about is understanding how liberalism engages in such static thinking. And we talked about this before. It's one of our favorite episodes, uh, where our podcast, where we talked about how liberals always envision the world to always remain the same as it, as it might be for whatever issue. So, for example, um, they, they want a um, high-speed rail, and they can't imagine that perhaps the demand for that particular route might change. Okay? They don't imagine that new technologies might change everything. So they may want um, to put uh, Ethernet cables throughout everywhere, but not realizing that people might want, there might be a new technology, say, called Wi-Fi, that completely alters that landscape as well. And sometimes it's old technology that does it. In the case of high-speed rail, they ignore the fact that there's an older technology called airplanes. Right. Good point. <laughs> right. That's right. It, it's such static thinking, it even misses the past. Right. And we, before we've talked about static thinking, we, we, I mean, the, one of the best examples we can think of is the New Deal and Social Security in particular, where to presume that the, de the demographics would always stay the same. 
and uh, that nobody would have fewer children, for example. <laughs> but well, it turns out that they do want it. They did have fewer children, and now there's such a burden on the system that it's getting ridiculous. And, and there's no way that it can sustain itself. So that's a good, a good example of static thinking. Um, affirmative action is another one where it just continues to, to plot along, uh, assuming that, that, that people's uh, mindsets have not changed ever. Uh, and of course they have. But, but very importantly, in the world of economics, and this is where liberals really get it wrong, they, they, they want to impose all sorts of regulations and structures upon this or that industry, thinking that that industry will always stay the same. Or survive entirely. Right, exactly. It just won't yeah. disappear and go poof. Yeah, or sometimes they think that they have, to, they have to maintain a particular business because, well, even though it's failing. Too big to fail, for example. There's no such thing, by the way. Um, but they, they will have this mantra. A very good example is the airline industry. And in the airline industry, they, in 1978, 79, they deregulated it, and everyone was terrified of that process because everything was going swimmingly well as far as they thought it was because the routes were all being serviced. You know, there was an L.A. to Puckapsee route. There was an L.A. to uh, Spokane route um, and so on, and, and everything was kind of understood. Well, the problem is that what happens when people, when a new town develops? You know, you, you have to reshift the entire grid for, the, for flying all of a sudden. And they, they just didn't think about these things. They also didn't think that there might be economies of scale in, in a hub-and-spoke sort of way. And we were, and the demand would change. And there was, there was more demand for flights. So people flew more, and it got more and more congested. At some point, they said, we've got to figure out a different way. Leave it to the private industry, and it worked much better. Airlines are far, far better now and far cheaper to fly than it ever has been. Yes, it's more crowded. Yes, it's more you know, uncomfortable to fly. But that's a function of the, the, the industry maturing into what it's really supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a luxury item. It's, if you want it to be something that's accessible to everybody, then it's going to be a little bit more unpleasant. It's, it's not going to be a first-class experience for everybody who takes it. Now, if only, only you know, 1,000 people in the country can fly a plane, a commercial airline, well, then you would expect them to have a, you know, be treated like royalty every time they fly. But it's different. Things have changed. So, so uh, now we have a completely different universe when it comes to the deregulated airline industry. But the same thing applies to um, thinking about the future, right? Ari, you brought up a very good example of the high-speed trains, right? Now, here in LA, they're talking about light-speed rail and such, and they've developed this, this thing, and, and the whole notion was we're going to have... Um, High-speed rail, not light-speed rail. Light-speed well, light rail, speed. I would fully support. Light, light rail. that would be awesome. Yeah, light rail is cool. But even light rail. No, it, not light rail, light speed. Here oh, to San Francisco in 0.5 seconds. Oh, I see. <laughs> right? All right. Uh. I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> All right, um, but you light rail where you you know it's not high speed, of course. But you know, the idea is that you have this public trans this new infrastructure that'll take you from Beverly Hills to Santa Monica, and uh, there'll be connections here and there, and everything will be just groovy. Well, that sounds nice, but the problem is that there's a new industry that's that's born in uh, in Los Angeles called Uber. 
and Lyft and other similar enterprises, which really are kind of changing the whole face of the way people travel. And, they, and they're discovering that uh, it may not be necessary at the end. So they, they're building this infrastructure only to find out that maybe this infrastructure is not necessary in the first place. Um, I remember when I was in law school, they, they built this huge law school library. They were very proud of it. A lot of alumni don don donations went to it. It completed more or less in 1990. <clears throat> it was a beautiful building. And then the internet came. But, you know, it, and as a practical matter, that, that law school, uh, that, that law school library is not really populated by law students doing actual research. It's populated by undergrads who need a cool place to hang out. And some homeless people too. Who <laughs> need a cool place to live. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> cool place to sleep. <laughs> it did not meet its intended purpose, shall we say. All right, it's a completely different animal now. <laughs> and and likewise, you know, uh, the books, generally speaking, don't are, are, are you know the the whole notion of donating books and uh, and the book infrastructure world and and publications and such. Things changed, and nobody expected that. Back in 1960, 1970, 1980, no one would, would say that books would go the way of the dodo, and they, they basically have. Think about the, the changes in the past, in, between the years, let's say, 2004 and 2010. Just six years. Let's say 2011, just for a seven-year period. So much has changed that nobody would have expected. If you told somebody in the year 2000, there's, there's not going to be, there won't be any more record stores or CD stores. They'd say, that's crazy. If you told people that bookstores would virtually not exist anymore, they'd say, that's crazy. Right? If you told them there wouldn't be any uh, movie rental um, stores anymore, they'd say, that's crazy. I mean, time and time again, and, and everything has changed. Everything. And no one expected it. That's the amazing thing about it. So when, when, when liberal ideas advance infrastructure concepts, be very wary because things will change. And they very, very rarely get it right. Um, I'm not saying that it won't provide some people to move from here to there. And people will work with the infrastructure that they're given. But it doesn't make it efficient. No, they, they never get it right, uh, actually. I, I can't think of one example where they get it right for the real long term. If they get it right, it's for a decade at most. Oh, I see. I, I, I agree with that. Um, the infrastructure that they have is the infrastructure that they will use. Like, I mean, the New York subway, for example, that they, they use that now. It's, they, they try to modify it here and there to, to meet demand, but it's, it's very hard for them to do so. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a challenge in New York, and it's a challenge, I think, in every city, subway-wise, to really kind of get it right. And it's it's political as well where the where the stations lie and such, but it's it's a big big issue. Um, and I remember, for example, people would would envision these these payphones that would be video phones for the future because that was going to be the way it was going to be in the future. I mean, if you saw the movie Blade Runner, there are references that came out in 1980, I believe. The references all over that movie, people, you know, going to a payphone that was a video phone. And that was kind of the natural order of things taking place in the distant future uh, that, that was supposed to be at that time. But they were wrong. Nobody uses, people don't really use uh, FaceTime, Skype, 
Or phone booths. Or phone booths. Yeah, well, that's for sure. The phone booths are definitely the way of the dodo. But, but no one had the, the vision to think beyond pay phones. That was just the way it was. You put money into a little thing, and you get to make a free call, and you can make a video call in this context. But not only were they unable to see that there would, there would be no more pay phones, they were unable to see that people didn't really want video phones. What, what, they, what they envision is obvious, it's not doesn't happen. Another thing that, that everyone envisioned was, was to be obvious. I mean, one thing that's consistent about the history of the future, in terms of how people envision, they always say the same thing. Can you tell? What's one gadget, one thing that they envision for the future, 50 years hence, let's say? The flying car. Yeah, bingo. Okay. But the flying car has been envisioned in 1880, not 1880, but the year 1900, 1940, 1950, 1960. Remember the Jessens, right? That's the flying car all over the place. Um, and even back and to the... Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner, right. Flying cars. Uh, back to the Future had flying cars, right? And it took place in the year 2015, believe it or not, right? Here we are, 2015, and there's nothing of the sort. Of, people are not even talking about it. It's just, it just doesn't make sense to have a flying car. Yeah, it does. Well, no, it, it, it doesn't because it's not practical yet in any sense. No, nobody's gunning for it. There's, there's no industry that's looking to, to create a flying car. They are creating a car that can drive itself. Yes, there's, there appears to be some interest and demand for that. But in terms of flying cars, nobody, nobody's saying we are now going to pr produce the flying car that everyone has been wondering about. Um, uh, we were talking about drones to deliver packages here and there or to take pictures and such. But that's about it. That's your flying car at best. And, and no one envisioned drones, right, to, to deliver goodies from here to there. What I'm trying to say is that no one ever envisions the future accurately. There, and there's no way. Even five years hence, it's, it's, it's very hard to envision what the future will look like. Well, there's two things. There's envisioning the actual future, and then there's envisioning or predicting what era that future mm -hmm. occurs in. Oh, yeah, so good point. Two points. It's, it would be kind of uh, limiting to say, a uh, flying car hasn't happened by 2015. It'll never happen. Then we're engaging in the same static thinking our opponents are. Oh, because yeah. It just might be 2025 to 2225. It You're could right. be in a 200-year window that we can't see yet. Right. It, it could be. Yeah. It could very well be. And it could be technology that is so obvious that, that suddenly it enables that process. And also, coupled with a self-driving car, let's say, it's, it's almost virtually impossible to crash your your flying car. So that might make it safe and might make it finally open for everyone to do it. Yeah. But I, heard, I heard a wonderful saying, uh, I can't remember where it was, but someone was saying um, at the time of Adam and Eve, just because they didn't have radio wave communications or computers, it doesn't mean there weren't radio waves or commu computers. Right. That's just right. Just because they couldn't see them. That they were, they, it was a reality, and the atom existed. We couldn't see the atom. <laughs> yes. Right. We didn't know what, it, what an atom was, let alone see it. So, um, it's a good point that the vision is it can be there, but the, the the point is that we can never really guess what it's going to be, and w what kind of traveling, uh, wh what is a flying car going to look like? Is it does it carry a whole family? That's the vision that we mostly have because that's that's how we deal with it today with a regular car, but maybe it's going to be. Um, some sort of staircase. Who knows? Um, that, that's a, like a moving a, a staircase that, that kind of hovers above us all the time, and you just kind of jet back and forth like that. There, there are too many 
differences in the future. And when, when people, you see, one of the hallmarks of liberalism is that it, it, it starts demanding a whole infrastructure, the way things should be. It's not, not just Obamacare, which is a very good example of infrastructure that, always, that, that will fail, but the high-speed rail, um, the, um, whether it's internet uh, you know, control one way or the other, they'll never get it right. Yeah, because it requires two things for the liberal vision to occur. It requires the vast infrastructure that in and of itself is wasteful. And then it requires compliance and obedience, which never works out. It requires, for example, these light rail projects, it requires the ridership to obey the needs that the rail system imposes on it. That you will only go from here to there on a linear line and back and not need to move six blocks more away from the station right. in the other direction right. on the y-axis. Yeah. The, the, the what's next problem. Yeah, right? the what next problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And that's... that's is in, Instead of needing a car going from here to where the station is in a way, you'll still need a car to get from the station to wherever you're going. Yeah. And people, people just don't think that through. Yeah. Um, and, and people do calculations. I mean, for example, in the uh, in the airline industry, they regulate and they they, they try to guard for all sorts of um, a, an onslaught of new people, and they forget that when, when you make things onerous in the airline industry, then people start making a different calculation as to whether or not they'll drive to that same place. For example, I, I went to my uh, Stanford reunion recently, and I I just did the math on this, and I realized it's better to drive. We'll drive the whole family there. It'll be cost-effective that way. Yeah, it's an 8 to 11-hour drive. That's not a small investment of time, but compared to the burdens of air travel yeah. and the fact that you have your own car there with child seats and everything, right. oh, well, that's much easier than right. all the schlepping. Right, and from a cost point of view, I'm actually better off. Yes. So why not do that? And by the way, it's not eight hours. It's, it's more like uh, even on a leisurely pace, it's about five and a half hours at most. And it's great. It's, uh, so I, I did that calculation, and I just, even though it's another three hours of time, it's better for me. And uh, beyond that, probably I would fly. But it's the, it's the calculation that people make, and they, don't, they just don't factor that in. And they can never factor that in. Maybe it's just as well that Los Angeles is the kind of city that it is. You know, light rail, like, uh, like, a, like the trams that used to be here, that's a, a great idea because it's, it's easy to put in, easy to take out, or to, to modify if you need to. But, but they, they, they don't think that way. They want massive infrastructure. They want underground no, no. subways. They, they, want, want, they want the union jobs and, and yeah. infrastructure commitment boring holes that's that right. 30 miles long gives you. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the only way it can be done. And then, you know, when you ask for something that's a simpler way of doing it, that's the last thing they want. Yeah, they always say, well, that'll never work. Right. Really, like at Disneyland, the monorail, that hasn't worked <laughs> since point. 1955? Yeah, good point. <laughs> that'll never work. Oh, man. Well, listen, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's valuable to, to look back in the past and to say, have they ever gotten it right? And the they could be the liberal policies, of course. But, but, but for purposes of this uh, podcast, it could be people who envision the future. Well, there's only one guy who's always gotten it right, and his name's Steve Jobs. Yeah, that's why he right. created the future. Right. <laughs> uh, but the other thing is it's always so dictatorial with them. It's almost like Stalin or Castro is dictating the future from their standpoint. We, um, 
uh, the subject sort of kicked off because I showed you an article about ride-sharing technologies. Yeah. And it was interesting how, and I forgot who wrote it, it doesn't matter, it was in the Wall Street Journal, um, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was incredible how dictatorial the tone was, saying that ride-sharing is the wave of the future and there won't be anything other than this. Yeah. And they completely ignored the fact that the future is always blended. Yeah. Not everyone uses an iPhone. There are right. Androids. Not mm-hmm. everyone uses an iPad. They're insane if they don't, but there are Surface tablets. Right. Okay? Right, good. Microsoft is still in business, unfortunately, but it is. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a there, blend. It's a right. blend. There, there's always a blend, and there's always an ebb and flow, and the blend goes back and forth. So even when the flying car comes out, obviously the way these things always work is it will be cost prohibitive and somewhat um, uh, unreliable at, when it begins. And the people who don't want to afford the price tag or the occasional crashes and loss of life will avoid it until the technology stabilizes. And then there'll still be a bunch of ground-based transportation along with it until finally it becomes robust enough to command the majority of the market space. But there's the blends that are always there. The funny thing is that, you know, and and, uh, who was it um, who brought that? Mark Stein brought this up, and it's a really good point. On the one hand, they, meaning liberal policies, they want to tell you, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do it this way first. On the one hand, they want to regulate virtually every industry because you know they need to control that and to, for the protection of the people or for whatever reason, to avoid greed or what have you, uh, or for health purposes. They've got to do it all. They've got to Regulate, regulate, regulate. The only thing they don't regulate is the computer industry and the, the smartphone industry and such. And lo and behold, dramatic creative improvements are there and everyone gets excited and they line up for a, a friggin' product. Not even for a movie, just for a product, right? When was the last time you, you lined up for a, you know, a, a new kind of staple? You know, it's, it, it doesn't, doesn't happen, right? But for an iPad, yeah, they, they really line up and it's an event because it's a creative expression. They, they love it. Anyway, so on the one hand, they, they try to regulate everything, the car, the, the gasoline prices, the, what's in, what's, what kind of gas you can buy and what it should look like and everything else. On the other hand, they're very big about deciding what needs to be done, and they'll impose that upon everyone at the same time. It's another version of, it's like affirmative regulation, right? Right. So exactly. <laughs> one's passive regulations, one's affirmative. They're all about regulation one way or the other. And... Uh, and they always get it wrong. They just no one ever anticipated the iPad uh, or, or the smartphone the way it has evolved. Um, and, and nor should they be able to. The, the creative expression is a wonderful thing. And they can never anticipate demand. They've they've never been right about anything, anything. And it's worth looking back in history. And this is the point of our whole podcast to see how they've gotten it wrong so many different ways. And we discussed this already with the Blade Runner movie, the Jetsons for crying out loud, they got that wrong. Um, the Ethernet issue and how, you know, they, they try to wire every single hotel, but Wi-Fi would have been just fun, just fine. How they got wrong, the, the needs for high-speed trains because Uber now is, is kind of alter, altering that. How the law library wasn't necessary anymore and, and library and bookstores don't even exist anymore. Everything that they envisioned was wrong. Yeah, CDs for music, packaged softwares, and you know anything where they 
couldn't figure out that things that were composed of computer bits could just be sent wire, on wire or wireless and not needed yeah. a brick-and-mortar store for you to go pick it up and with the inherent waiting times. Yeah. I mean, no one anticipated Amazon, for example, right? And now uh, Google Express and all the other things that you see. It, the world changes, and, and you'll never be able to guess it. And, and this is part of the beauty of America is that it, it embraces that uh, unknown, Right? Isn't that isn't that the case? That's that's what we love about America, right? We we wake up every morning, and I think that's part of the excitement about being American, is we we wake up and we say, "Wow, what's what's going to happen next?" Yeah, because our friends in Soviet Union or the communist Cuba, or especially today in North Korea, wake up every day and they know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> that's right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Our freedom is essentially not knowing what's going to happen yeah. today. Yeah. And and I think anything could happen. And most of the time, it's good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It, it, which also goes to a question like your friend, uh, you know, Rabbi Brandon Gaines, I think, we get into sort of his realm, which is, why do we wake up every day not knowing what's going to happen? We immediately assume it's going to be bad. Yeah. What is wrong with us? Yeah. And well, when I say us, I don't mean you and I. I mean human nature. them out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, the American mentality is, is very different. And if you ask Europeans, they'll say, you Americans are a funny lot. You know, you're always smiling. No, you're no, always... they have that accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you Americans are a funny lot. You know, you, you, you're always smiling. You're always upbeat and everything else. And they, they resent it. They, they, they mock us for it. Right. You and, Americans with your optimism yeah. and your freedom and your big cars and houses <laughs> with big TVs. But, but they never ask themselves why. Yeah. Why is that the case? And the reason why is we have a, a sense that the, the world is infinite, that the opportunities are infinite, and that's exciting, and we don't know what comes around the corner, but it's, gonna, it's probably going to be pretty damn cool, right? I know that the iPhone, uh, or the equivalent of something like an iPhone, 20 years from now is going to be pretty friggin' awesome, and I'm going to look forward to, to seeing it, right, compared to what we have today, and, and today will look very, very primitive to then, uh, to, in the future. But boy, oh boy, it's just, it's neat not knowing it. But this is not what liberalism understands. Liberalism understands only the static. It only understands the world as it wants it to be. And it's always wrong. That, my friends, is the lesson. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk with you next week.